0: Kia ora, this is The Detail. I'm Alexia Russell, and I can say pretty much what I want on this podcast, as long as it's true. No shadowy figure's going to knock on my door in the middle of the night because of my reporting activities. New Zealand ranks a healthy eighth on this year's World Press Freedom Index, so today we're looking at why our country needs a media freedom committee. After all, we're better off than some places where journalism is a dangerous job.
1: Apple Daily, that's a prominent pro-democracy newspaper in Hong Kong, is shutting down. It's the latest example of pressure from China on the It seems
0: that it it isn't the next one in the black list. Amnesty International today commenting those raids and interrogations urged to end state persecution of independent...
1: Danny is the managing editor of Frontier Myanmar. That's an independent news outlet. The chief editor believes Danny may have been transferred to uh, what they call insane prison.
0: China, Turkey, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Eritrea, Vietnam, Iran, Russia, Myanmar, Malta. Places where working reporters need to watch their backs. Our
1: CNN camera crew and our producer um, are being arrested right now on on live television in handcuffs. I've never seen anything like this. I'm being arrested now. I was
0: just reporting at Merrill Hay Mall today. And we were running, police were approaching, it was hit by a tear gas canister. I was saying, you know, I'm pressed,
1: I'm pressed, I'm pressed. OK, do you whoa, mind telling me whoa. why I'm under arrest, sir? Why, why am I under arrest, sir?
0: OK, add the USA to that list. But not in this part of the world, right? Except that time my boss, Mark Jennings, and his newsroom crew got arrested in Fiji.
1: Three New Zealand journalists are being detained by police in Suva in Fiji, Reporter Melanie Reid, co-editor Mark Jennings
0: and cameraman Hayden All were taken for questioning after trying to interview a controversial resort owner. We're being taken in by police for asking questions at the Free Soul office a few hours earlier.
1: He described the cells that they're in as rather grim um, which is not, you know, one night in a cell is not going to be an enormous problem for them. It's more the use of the police to intimidate
0: but the Fijian Prime Minister got them out and apologized in the end. TVNZ's Barbara Dreaver's also been in trouble in the Pacific after asking pesky questions in Nauru.
2: I was interviewing a refugee um, outside a restaurant. A police car turned up with uh, three officers. Uh, They asked to see my visa and then said that I had breached my visa conditions and I had to go with them to the police station.
0: But actually, here at home, there was that time in 2015 when the New Zealand Defence Force used court action and a lot of taxpayer money to bully freelancer John Stevenson over his award-winning coverage on what the SAS was getting up to in Afghanistan.
1: Questions were also raised in the trial too about New Zealand Defence Force handling of journalists. A senior New Zealand SAS officer told the court that he ordered a photo of John Stevenson to be put up at that camp in Kabul to stop him entering. But there is. Presumably a sense uh, in uh, some parts of government, including the Defence Force, uh, that you can bully journalists out of uh, taking a strong line. Uh, And maybe this was an attempt to send a signal not just to John but to others.
0: Stuff's Andrea Vance in 2013 was surveilled and had her private phone records released, ironically over her revelations about illegal spying. And then there's investigative journalist Nikki Hager. Police have apologised to author Nicky Hager over an unlawful raid on his Wellington home in 2014 after he published the book Dirty Politics. Hager says he hopes the apology means people with information in the public interest won't be afraid to give it to journalists. Now Hager's on a panel that scrutinises the actions of our intelligence agencies. But Reporters Without Borders says the biggest things holding New Zealand back in the press freedom rankings are economic and legislative media organisations trying to cut costs at the expense of good journalism and the obfuscation government departments
2: can get away with under the Official Information Act. We can see there's kind of an insidious um, kind of creep around the control and the flow of public information and and that's where we're finding um, the biggest frustrations at the moment. The NZ Herald's head
0: of premium content, Mariana Alexander, is the chair of the Media Freedom Committee. The group comprises the main media outlets RNZ, TVNZ, NZME, Stuff and TV3, as well as The Spin-Off and Newsroom.
2: Other members are pending. It is really important that we are vigilant in terms of, um, even in good old New Zealand, you know, there are threats to how the media operates in this country, and we need to be vigilant around ensuring that media freedom, um, the really important public interest um, principles remain, and that we can do our job without um, undue interference, I suppose. Andrea Vance wrote a column a little while back saying that the whole open government thing was a bit of a mirage,
0: and that, you know, she suggests that the Official Information Act, far from um, enabling, the media to get hold of information is being used to halt it or to hold it
2: up or to wait until it's not news anymore. Is that what we're finding? Yeah, look, I um, I thought that was a great piece. The Media Freedom Committee is really concerned about the use of the Official Information Act currently, and in fact we just recently had a very good meeting with the Chief Ombudsman Peter Boucher on the topic, because we all had ongoing examples of things like, you know, um, journalists would not get a response within the 20 days that they're required to by law, or they'd get a response on the 20th day asking for an extension for a long period of time. They would say oh no, sorry, we have to put this request to another organisation, and so they would effectively reset the clock which they shouldn't do they could do that at the very beginning when the request is made so and and, and just sometimes never replying at all so we felt very concerned about that so we reached out to the chief ombudsman and, and we had a brilliant meeting with him actually where we where we outlined our concerns and and talked to him and we're going to continue working with him about trying to make some improvement in that space and he was great and supportive and helpful this is the ombudsman peter boucher talking to stuff's andrea vance about the oia We know it's a very powerful tool for democracy, very important. Um, We also know that some government departments, public servants and ministers try and get around it. Can you tell us about some of the examples that you've encountered of the Act not perhaps being implemented so well?
1: Can we talk about this Act? It's still very fit for purpose. It it may be (coughs) not the newest Act in the world, but it's still a very good Act. The problem with this Act and any legislation is you've got to get people to comply. So the actual mechanics of it are good, but but it's like a lot of legislation. Some works and some doesn't. And our real task here has been to make sure it's complied with. So what are the problems? Delays, sometimes obfuscation, sometimes a reluctance to release, and often a failure to apply resources in an agency to make sure the job gets done.
2: So, we think we do find that that is a really big issue. Is getting the getting information in a timely manner out of the government agencies is incredibly hard and frustrating. Um, another thing that the Media Freedom Committee has recently done is write to Health Minister Andrew Little just after he made his announcements about the health reforms. Um, we've all this found is, this is canning all the DHBs and replacing yes, them. Yes, yes, and we have found. You know the DHB process quite frustrating in terms of getting information out of communications teams there and so we wanted to put on the record to him that we were interested in being involved in how he would envisage the communications arms of those agencies working because we already felt that they hadn't worked you know very well for the media in the latest iteration i.e. around DHB so we wanted to be at the table to talk about how it was going to work when when they set those up so I ran into him recently and we um, you know mentioned that he But again, that's an example of us trying to be proactive around managing a situation that has been really frustrating for all journalists, absolutely.
0: Would that be the most pressing issue facing New Zealand journalists, the use of official legislation to effectively block what it should be Revealing,
2: yeah, I think I think in a broader sense it is that the control of the flow of information out of government agencies, and fundamentally, any request, you know, is an official information that request. But I don't see that they should all have to be. But and and we certainly feel that there are times that the act is used against us instead of for us in terms of the the, the spirit of the act is about releasing information, not keeping it from us. But you're right, we feel very much that it's convenient at times for information that is not and. Um, Showing a government agency or the government in a positive light to be um, to be held back and look, you know, we'll never be told that that's the case, but we certainly feel that from time to time there is, um, you know, as I say, it's convenient for information not to come out. The other problem, of course, is you know, resource for the ombudsman when we want to complain about delays and, and information being shared, it takes and can take a very long time for that You're to right. he's happen. He's got a as long well. list of complaints. He sure has, yeah. and he's certainly made some improvements in that space, but it takes a long time if. You were making a request about something very timely, and you, and you get it turned down, and then you have to go for a complaint, and you might end up winning, but that can take months and months and months. And as you point out, at which part that particular issue is no longer live, but yeah. but I still think it's vitally important that we use that tool. And and look, we've also had feedback that that um, you know government agencies. And they all handle requests differently. Some of them are held by the comms team. Some of them have specific um, departments to deal Departments, it sounds like they're kind of huge, but have specific resource to deal with official information at requests. Um, so they deal, they deal with them differently. And I think that they're frustrated when we are asking for this information all the time. But actually, if they're a bit more proactive and not having to make everything go through the Official Information Act, wait your 20 days, and then it all kicks in. You know, just get on and share some information. So it is a bit of a chicken and egg. Like, uh, we would feel that if if we got um, more cooperation, everything wouldn't need to be an Official Information Act request, but because we don't, that's what happens. But then this long thing goes into play and train. And so, you know, I know that um, the Chief Ombudsman is really committed to help make the um, Act work in the spirit it's intended, so we are really keen and happy to be working closely with him to see what we can do to improve things. You don't think the Act needs to be reworked? Oh look, potentially that is something that we've had a look at but but it's also difficult because you know that then requires um legislative changes, but, but it is something that we think we will have a look at ourselves just to see what's possible. There are various international regimes that are different. Um, I guess the problem potentially you could see happening is that any, um, any attempt to you know, stiffen or have introduced penalties or whatever can, will just potentially make things worse, actually. Yeah, I mean, better. it
0: already says
1: you have to answer these questions yes. in a timely manner. So the law is you must release as soon as you can really reasonably release it. If you've got it on the spot... You're not allowed to wait the whole 20 days before you release. So some, some people have called it gaming the system. That is, it suits an agency, and particularly a local body, not to release because it doesn't suit them. And we're becoming very hard and very vociferous in saying that's unacceptable.
2: And also I think the reality is that any legislative change would be difficult but actually it's kind of um, as you say it's about trying to get the spirit of the of the act being followed more mm. and you know but but look it is on our it's on our minds because I guess that's the reality isn't it is right now if someone behaves badly and it doesn't behave in the spirit of the law there's really little comeback and and while the ombudsman can criticize and has um, and can get involved in certain situations it doesn't still um, you know either speed things up necessarily or you know will that stop someone doing that again we will never no right, so that, mm. that's the difficult thing. But yep. it's definitely an area of major concern for us, and we are we are really committed to staying focused on it. Because anyone can use the Official Information Act, and I guess you know, people don't realise
0: there are kind of vexatious people out there who just. Bombard. Bombard, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, to be caught up in that, it's a, kind of an unfortunate situation when you've yes. got
2: some lobby group kind of hammering. Yeah. And look, I again, you know, in terms of resources in the various government departments, not your, that we want to be advocating for more um, comms people or PR people, or whatever, but actually the reality is, if this is the way it's going and there are always increasing numbers of, of requests for information, I think there does need to be a look at how they're handled. So, um, But yeah, we'll, we'll definitely keep um, watching in the space. It's a good example of of us just trying to be really vigilant and and another thing happened kind of late last year that flowed into early this year that again, just I think as an example of why the Media Freedom Committee is so important is that that DOC, had the Department of Conservation had kind of quietly introduced these new policies which would require media to apply for a permit to actually access public conservation land and and that wasn't even something that they were asking of the public. So in in theory... So hang on, let's go through this. So you could... As
0: a member of public, you could say wander into the Tongariro National Park, but if you wanted to do it with a... Camera
2: or yes. notebook, yeah, you had to ask permission. permission, absolutely. So once we became aware of this, because a few um, media organisations did have some problems, and it was brought to our attention, we were like, "Hang on a minute, this is not right." We've got a situation where actually media have got less rights than the members of the public, and so when a we just didn't think that that was a necessary. That was a, that was actually an impediment for us to do our jobs. Um, but actually, we could see a situation where we'd you know in theory you'd have to apply for a permit and say what your job was, what you were going to do, and if the doc didn't like it thought it was going to be critical they're like no you're not going to get your permit and so never mind you know a scenario of a, of a major news event happening breaking and who's going to stop and fill in a form for a permit so look it all seemed quite silly on the face of it so we did um, get in touch with Doc and told them that this was not really appropriate so we asked them to, uh, to review it they did and they changed their mind they saw sense and backed down because that was just crazy well, what right were,
0: what was the origins of that policy in the first place well, paranoia
2: was, <laughs> who, who would know but they'd seem to have quietly introduced it um a couple of years earlier, but we're only starting to, to enforce it. The other kind of strange thing was that it, it appeared to us that um, senior kind of doc management weren't aware of it because when we brought it to their attention, they, they didn't seem to appreciate that that's also what was going on. So, look, it took a few months, but in the end, um, common sense prevailed. And but, but, again, that's an example of had we not had a body, like the Media Freedom Committee, to work on those issues on behalf of the media industry, you know, those kinds of things will just happen. The
0: new Labour government of 2017 promised to be the most transparent ever.
2: My name's Claire Curran. I'm the Minister of Open Government. Yes, New Zealand has a Minister for Open Government. This government is committed to being more open and transparent with its citizens.
0: Well, Curran was demoted the following year and lost that portfolio. Now she's gone completely, and so has the job. After becoming Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern was praised internationally for her expert communication skills and her ability to speak directly to the public through platforms such as Facebook. Hello, everyone, I'm standing against a blank wall in my house because it's the only view in my house that is not messy <laughs> right now. Now she's often criticised for using social media
2: to control the message – and avoid questioning. Personally, my eyebrows were raised um, recently, for example, when... Um, around the farmers' protest that, that Friday a couple of weeks ago when the tractors took to the streets. Um, and it was interesting to me that the Prime Minister didn't um, front any of those protesters. And not only that, she didn't do any media interviews on the issue that day, but what she did do that night was take to Facebook Live. And that's a platform that she favours. What that allows her to do, of course, and why she likes it is that she's speaking directly to um, her supporters and her audience. But that's a platform that doesn't allow any scrutiny or question of her by journalists. And so... To, to my view, that is not democracy in action and the Prime Minister seems to favour reducing media um, appointments where she is um, interviewed by journalists in favour of doing things like that, which I personally think is concerning. And so again, is something that we'll be watching because The Prime Minister out of everybody in this country should be subject to questions and scrutiny and and she will of course say she is in other circumstances but she seems to be very much choosing when she will go on Facebook Live to talk about what she's talking about. So I think it's important that we remain vigilant around that kind of thing as well.
0: Another issue the Media Freedom Committee is keeping an eye on, the Attorney-General's legal action against Newsroom over an Oranga Tamariki uplift story.
2: Yeah, look, we're watching that situation very closely. I obviously won't be commenting on the live proceedings, but we do have some concerns, and we've had some discussions and debate around that in terms of the bigger effect, a chilling effect on media around the resulting action around the prosecution. Um, I agree that you won't find an, you know, a more justified area of public interest. You know, the care and protection of our vulnerable children is a fundamental, you know, such an important issue. And without the work done by Newsroom and others, those practices wouldn't have been exposed. And, and obviously, let's not forget changes have been made as a result of that publicity so yes we are watching that very closely and we've had some discussions about some um, some issues that we that we are um, interested in concerned about we've had one initial conversation with the Solicitor General as the committee which was um, great to have her engagement so yeah so it's something we are definitely concerned about and watching very closely the
0: committee was involved in setting guidelines for the court appearances of the Christchurch mosque
1: shooter New Zealand's media organisations are now discussing their approach. All have named the man charged with murder, but some are now pulling back. From here on in, you'll see stuff, the website and the newspapers in our portfolio, dial back on that. We will avoid naming him where we believe we can and should. The Media Freedom Committee welcomes a discussion about the best approach, but the committee's chair, Mariana Alexander, also editor for The Herald on Sunday, says ultimately each newsroom will decide for itself what's appropriate
2: this was um, something that we felt was really important, that we all wanted to sign up and make a public declaration that we would not be giving him a platform to share any of his ideological um, viewpoints. So that didn't require us, that needed to be used in the end because there wasn't a trial, but I think it was an important commitment to show how the media intended to behave in a very volatile and, and alarming situation. I did see some commentary around it, that which, which was frankly just misunderstood the protocols and the guidelines, and that we were pro- not promising to you know never write anything about him or not use his name as the prime minister wouldn't, and those kinds of things. And anyone reading those protocols would see very clearly what we made a commitment to do. So, and that was that was very uh, a set, a set thing. W- what has happened since is that the media freedom committee has worked with various um, government departments under the auspices of the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet to um, agree to sign up to some terror reporting protocols. Uh, there had been some in the in the long distance past, but you know before the time of social media and things like that. So we appreciate that we live entirely in a different way, and often the first time you find something out is, is on social media that something has happened, given citizen journalism. So we were very keen to be at the table. I, I, and again, I think that's an important function of the Media Freedom Committee. We do work with agencies closely because we need to ensure that if there isn't any attempt to put guidelines in place or any protocols that they need to be to be successful and to be um, agreed to by us, they need to have us at the table. So we were um, at the table where we worked with, um, with police on those guidelines and, and they're very much around live um, events. Christchurch showed us that sadly we're not immune to such things. So should something like that happen again in New Zealand there are a set of governing principles that we've agreed to. Um, fundamentally they recognise that it is the media's right to decide what they will publish in any event, but they're asking for um, careful consideration, which, of course, we would say we would always do. There are
0: calls for stronger legislation to protect whistleblowers in the workplace. The government is asking for public feedback on a raft of changes to the Protected Disclosures Act.
1: Today we're launching a public discussion and engagement process that seeks feedback from communities on six proposals that aim to strengthen laws against incitement to hatred and discrimination.
2: Their submission's currently... Um, being called for on the um, on the changes to um, some of the hate speech stuff. So we're having a look at that and whether we make a submission. Um, there's Whistleblowers Act. There's all kinds of things out there that feels like, um, you know, we could be getting involved. So um, so next meeting has got a very full agenda. How much heft do you think you have? Well, we're not on any official kind of organisation. We exist in the goodwill of our publishers and our media companies. But I do think that the, that the organisation itself is respected and that the media is role in in a democracy is is very much respected on the main in New Zealand and so we've never been kind of knocked back or you know not been taken seriously so I think that's a really important thing and and look I guess the reality is that um, you know we all have our own platforms at our disposal should we consider that something unfair untoward is going on that we can report on and various of the issues that I've discussed with you today have been reported on by some organisations so so look I think we are respected and um, taken seriously which is good.
0: That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The details brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and New Zealand On Air. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. And if you want to get in touch, email us at thedetail at rnz.co.nz. Rangi Poak engineered today's episode and Sharon Brett Kelly produced it. Thanks to Mariana Alexander. Mate wa.